confesses us once and for all. Good to be in the house of God this morning with you. Believe in God for good things. And I appreciate all that's been done this week. Amen. Uh, don't take lightly, especially, especially your hospitality. Amen. I appreciate that basket yesterday. Amen. That heavy basket yesterday. <laughs> it was a great blessing. Amen. I took Mickey home yesterday. We got, got back about 12 something last night. Or this morning, but it's, I tell you what, it's, it is so good to be in the house of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to the book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 15. And I want to give you a quick disclaimer this morning. I'm going to preach a sermon that I've had the great joy of ministering some aspects of this sermon in many different places. It's not because I don't have sermons, it's just that this sermon has really spoken to my heart and uh, I've had an opportunity to pray with folks and just ask God to help them in regards to this. I, I had uh, an, just an incredible encounter once. I had ministered this sermon and an aspect of it and this gentleman said, you know, this, is, this has helped me so much. And I'm saying this to you with great sincerity, it's helped my life. I don't, I don't come to you from a platform of perfection. I come before you just saying this is something that's helped. And I believe God is gracious and is kind. Those on live stream, wonderful to have you with us this morning. I believe in God for good things. So I, I say this to you sincerely, brother. Uh, please open your heart to the word of God. Uh, this is, we're kind of taking a little shift here in the revival. This is in-house, if you will. This is to help us grow in our, in our, in our, in our faith and to be able to see things, un understand this for a moment, biblically, not in the way the world sees it. Biblically, revival is about God refreshing his church, amen. I, I just literally stirring his church, you know. We think revival is just, well, so many folks are going to come. We're glad for that. Every, every soul is precious to Jesus. We thank God for that. But revival is primarily for his church, amen. That means you who have been faithful, you've come out. Revival is really for you, amen. We're, we're, we're glad for that, amen, because the truth is God has something. Here. Can, I, can I tell you this? As a person who's been around just a little bit of time, don't disc discredit what God is doing here, amen. You might think, you know, uh, well, Pastor, we're not very big. Can I, it's, a, it's not about that. It's about how big God is. God's a gracious and kind God, amen. And, and can I tell you something? This place looks really wonderful. Amen. You guys did a great job in this place. Amen. Uh, it really is a great blessing. Our first church looked like a, looked like a wick office. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, my, our first church, like how if they remember it, man, it's, that thing, that thing was downright ugly. I'm telling, I'm talking about ugly. <laughs> I'm like, I was like, my goodness, my pastor walked in there. Pastor Smith says, Robert, this is a, what is this? this is like a stinking wick office. <laughs> And he was right, and I'm like, okay, man, I'll, you're right, Pastor. So we fixed it up a little bit. We thought we had a big building project. We painted it, painted it, took off the carpet, did, cleaned the floors. That was our building project. Yeah, we did it. Yeah, but it was it was good. It was good to be in the house of God, brother. I want to preach to you a sermon on the transformative nature of regret. And once again, this is a sermon that I, I just I felt very weighty about, brother. I was going to preach on desperation, but then I really felt God deal with my heart about forgiveness tonight, brother. But to this morning, uh, regret, nature of regret. 
2 Samuel 15, verse 13 to 17. I'm going to read from a different version. I normally study on the King James. I preach on the New King James and will preach in the New Living or in the Amplified Bible at times. This morning, I'm going to use the Amplified Version from our text. 2 Samuel 15, 13 to 17 says these words. Then a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. David said to all of his servants who were with him in Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste, or he will overtake us quickly and bring disaster on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. The king's servant said to him, Listen, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king left and all his household with him. Notice these words. But the king left behind ten women who were concubines to take care of the house. Of the palace, the king left, and all the people with him, and they stopped at the last house. Let's take a moment, let's pray, let's seek the Holy One. Father God, we thank you, God, for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for all that you are, my God. Lord God, we ask you that this morning, God, you would speak to us, bring us understanding, God, be glorified. I pray above all things, my God. I pray, Lord God, let your word, Lord God, be exalted in this place. God, search the human heart, and I pray if there's anything, God, that would separate man from you, I pray help us to see it, expose it, bring it to the surface, my God, and I pray for the precious souls on live stream, God, cause them to know they're not forgotten, God, you love them dearly, God, they're part of your church, and I'm asking God to speak to their hearts. I thank you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Very serious opener this morning. If you've ever talked to people in regards to whether it's marriage or they've messed up their life, they've detonated their life, they'll often tell you things like, I wish I could begin again. I wish I could start over. I've talked to marriages that have been burned. They've, they've done horrible things. I've talked to young men who wish I would have never touched the internet. I've talked to young women, young women, who have done things at the past. It's, just, it's a way that I can just go back and not have done that. And that is absolutely true. There is this thought that one man said, I wish there was a land called Begin Again. And I apologize, I don't have the gentleman's name, but he said these words, I wish there was a land called Begin Again. I would go further saying this. It is a place where a person says, I wish I could start over. Wouldn't it be nice to start over again? How many things will we change? How many things will we not do? Amen. Let's let the Lord speak to us. First point, the undeniable, the sting of regret. The landscape of our text. David, at this point, is king. He is the king of Israel. But at this point, the king is absolutely a fractured man. He's literally shattered inside. He is hurting, he is literally bruised, and he understands the wounding, it comes from his own arrow. He has hurt himself. This was not the way life's supposed to have been for a king. He is fleeing, he's actually escaping death, and he realizes that the enemy who's chasing him is called son. His own son is against him. Can I tell you, for a parent, when your own son, your own child comes against you, that's a very painful, painful dilemma. Do you ever talk to a parent who's had the struggle of a child of literally opposing them? 
It is a painful, painful thing. And can I tell you this? You don't really understand it unless you go through it. Here a son is coming against him. David has assumed the throne, yet he has at one point been blessed with peace from his enemies. Over the process of time, though, David begins to lose his intensity and his passion for God. And during a time of battle where David should have been leading the forces to war, David stays back. And let this speak to you. It is during this time that David enters a very dangerous foray, which is self-will and deliberate sin. The Bible says, knowing that he is a married man, he views a woman bathing, and God, by his grace, sends a man to warn him. To warn him, you're looking at another man's wife. You're looking at another man's wife. His name is Uriah. You're looking at Uriah's wife. And the Bible says David is unmoved by this. And he sends for Uriah's wife. He's a king. David is now about to commit adultery. Now just, this, just that statement should really shock us. You know, it's a sad day when the world doesn't blush over its sin. It's a sad day when people say, well, you know what, they're just, they're broken up, and today, you know, they're just kind of going out doing their thing. Can I tell you something? Adultery is still a sin, amen. And child of God, let this speak to you. Uriah is out fighting a war, and the king is home losing a battle. The king is losing a great battle of integrity. The Bible says that David now gets word. Uriah's wife is pregnant. What an awesome thing how life is, beloved. A person tries to hide their sin, not realizing what is birth. I mean, no, you can't hide a baby. I mean, no, give it a few months, everyone's going to know you're pregnant. And David notices in an attempt to hide the scandal, because he doesn't want to be on TMZ, tries to hide this, he goes out and he calls for Uriah and he tries to conceal this. And because Uriah is a man of integrity, he has him killed. Think about this. He murders a man who loves God, loves his nation, and loves his leader. All in an attempt to conceal sin. David now steps further and further away from God and his personal responsibilities. And at this point, he has a son named Absalom who slowly begins to steal the hearts of God's people, the loyalty, because, because David realizes, you know, I have not been a good father to this man. This man slowly begins to take the loyalty from his people. And it's not all of a sudden. It's over a period of 40 years. This is where we pick up David in our text. Word comes back to David. A powerful treason is mounting against him. You could say a siege. In other words, the enemy is closing in. Once again, in his youth, he understood battles. You're going to think about it. David was a young man who fought a lion and a bear to rescue sheep. 
But now David only has a few, a few moments to gather his thoughts or he's going to be a dead man. The enemy is closing in and the enemy is his own son. You can only imagine what is going through his mind. If he does not escape, he's going to be killed. He's running. And David understands something. If Absalom catches me, his heart is full of murder. He's going to kill me. He wants murder and revenge. And verse 17 of our text. I pray we never forget the weight of this. The Bible says the king left and all the people with him, and they stopped at the last house. Now think about that for a moment. They're stopping at the last house. Here's David. He's a king. He has control over a whole region. The empire is his. He literally sits on a throne. He has a palace. It is a, a large palace. The most illustrious building, a construction building, if, if you will, of that land. It is his. And he, now he's going to leave because his son is chasing him. And he's going to stop at the last house. The terminology literally means the outskirts of the land. He's being forced because he realizes if I don't leave, I'm going to be killed. My son's going to kill me. And for him to stop, if you can just kind of put this in your mind, dramatize it, he's leaving, and he's now realizing that there's no time to waste. If I don't get out, I'm going to die. And he leaves, and as he leaves, he gets to the outskirts. He's looking back at the palace, looking back at Jerusalem, the city of David, looking back at all the things God's done for his life, and he's probably wondering, why am I here? Why am I having to run away from my son and leave everything God gave me? Because David is reflecting. See, David now is actually broken over his sin, his neglect of his son, and the sting of his regret. And this is what is so painful for many, because can I say this with grace? For David to be at that place at that day is no accident. God brought David to the last house for a reason, because in looking at the last house, David's eyes were finally going to open up to what he has done. Do you realize there are people who are blind to their sin? They never realize what they do. It's like you can tell them, hey, bro, this is serious. And they say, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. What does the Bible say about the adulteress? The Bible says the adulteress does this. Listen to this. She takes a napkin and she wipes her mouth and she says, I haven't done anything. How many people look at the magazines and the you know, rappers and all this and committing adultery and think, well, they, you know, it's so cool. I love their music. You don't realize what they've done? Immoral, unclean people? And child of God, God brought him there. Because what this is, this is a time of reflection. It is remembering when God dealt with your heart. When you did not listen to someone who tried to warn you. When you disregarded sound counsel, sound words that could have spared you so much pain. Look at the scene I'm talking about. 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 says, And it happened in the spring of the year, at the times when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with them in all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Amnon and besieged Rebbe. But David remained in Jerusalem. 
Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and notice this, and someone said, have you ever thought about who's that someone? You know what's so interesting about it is that God does not name that someone. That tells us two things. First of all, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit speaking. But notice this, the Holy Spirit is speaking through who? You know, sometimes people will try to tell you, man, don't do that. And they, they, you think, oh, you don't know what I'm talking about. Can I tell you something? Sometimes you need to listen to people who are being used by God to try to warn you not to sin. Because notice this, someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? The Bible says that David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. Child of God, David stopped at the last house, and surely he is thinking about what he's done. What has led me to this place that I'm no longer where I should be? I'm far removed from all that God had for me. He's probably thinking, wow, I really messed up in life. I should have turned away from that. He's probably thinking, I remember where I've been in life. Think about it. While the others are going out to war, what is he doing? He's on the internet surfing. He's looking at things he should be looking at. How many young folks are on the internet looking at things they should be looking at? Come on, be honest. You realize pornography is the plague of our churches? They're trying, to, they're trying to help us, you know, say, oh, COVID, COVID, COVID. Can I tell you something? Pornography takes out more people than COVID. COVID might send you to, might send you to eternity, but I'll tell you one thing. Pornography is sending you to a godless eternity. This is a reality, beloved. David remembers when I saw Bathsheba. He's got to remember, I saw a woman, you know, who was not dressed properly. She was in her house bathing. And I'm just thinking to myself, why did she close the windows? Why did she close that? She probably knows, listen, this house is higher than mine. They can see in. I believe Bathsheba liked a little bit of attention. Can I tell you, man of God, in the world, there's a lot of Bathsheba's. But you don't let her look. He probably thought, this was, I should have turned away from her. I should have not, not let my heart desire her. Can I tell you something? You begin to look at something, you're going to desire it. I share this in the Bronx. You know, we have great, great bakeries in the Bronx. I love cannolis. I love cannolis in my house, your house, Eva. I love I love them. And I tell you what, you go by a place called Conti's, they have wonderful cannolis. You, you go by there, and they're there, and you begin to look at them. You're lusting after them after a while. <laughs> You're repenting, God forgive me. <laughs> You're looking at me, thinking, I can have two. I know I can. I don't need one. one, one no way, I want two. And David remembers, I saw her. 
and he keeps on looking here. Now the looking now literally wets his appetite, if you will, and it becomes a desire. And he inquires of her. Someone tells him she's another man's wife. Do you realize someone tells him that is another man's wife and he literally blows her by it? He doesn't even hear the weight of it. That's someone else's wife. Someone should tell him, hey, David, don't you have plenty of wives? <laughs> what, you want to do, add one more that you're not going to love? He should have listened. He should have sensed the Holy Spirit dealing with his mind and his conscience. Something about that word literally should have awakened him. Man, that is another man's wife. But now he has this reward. Now he's thinking, and I guarantee you, now he's listening. See, it's after the fact that sometimes we learn. And what is so powerful is that he is a pained man. And that truth is, beloved, that, that is how God so often gets our attention. He allows us to go through pain. You ever hear people say, you know, God loves me, and he wouldn't judge me that way. And, you know, I don't believe that in judgment. Sometimes you witness people, and they, oh, no, I don't really believe that because God, I know God loves me. I know God loves me. Can I tell you, yes, God loves you, but he would allow pain in your life. Because literally, if I can say this with grace, pain is God's wonderful teacher. Yes, amen, it is. You might say, no, pastor, it's not. Yes, it is. Pain is a good teacher. You know that song, he touched me, he touched me. Sometimes God needs to touch us, amen. Child of God, we as a people need to see the consequences of our decisions in high definition. And the truth is, unless God opens our eyes, so often we are deliberately blind to what we do. We need to see it. As disturbing as it may sound, it's altogether true. This is so often how God breaks a man by allowing him to run the course of his sin. That is why the father allowed the prodigal son to go and to wander off. Because the Bible says it was not until he came to himself that he returned home. And no, it doesn't sound right. But he will allow you to waste and squander the consequences of your life. The thought of your life, he'll let you waste it and squander it. Doesn't sound pretty, but he'll allow you to abort the consequences of an immoral life, as painful as that is. And he will. And yes, God is a forgiving God, but he will allow you to drink, snort up your marriage, your groceries. He will allow you, beloved, for one reason to get you to really see things how they really are. God is no joke, beloved. See, God uses pain as his fashioning tool. Pain, beloved. There's a story about a woman. She's singing before this composer, and some of you might remember using this story a while back. And this famous composer said, you know, he auditions her, and she sings beautifully. And then her, her talent agent, you know, the agent that works with her said, you know, what do you think? You're going to cast her? And he goes, well... You know, the problem is something's missing. He goes, man, she's got a beautiful voice. He goes, no, 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 something's missing. He goes, what can be missing? She's got a beautiful voice. He goes, it's pain. When you give her some pain, she'll sing better. She has to go through some things. 
Beloved, let this speak to you. I call this what true regret can birth in us. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8 through 11, Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthian church. He loves them dearly. But the Corinthian church is very much, you could say like a church like we in Bridgeport or the Bronx. The city of Corinth was a city given over to sin, lots of immorality, lots of debauchery. People with a thought of elitism, thought they were very progressive. You know, they're, they're just going on for themselves. And Corinthians has a very sensual nature, you know. One of the things about our, our, our larger cities that you feel that, you feel how they can be very sensual nature, very, you know, if, you, if I dare say, can be perverse at times. And he says these words, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might, might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of this world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner, what diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication, and all these things you proved yourself to be clear in this matter. He is saying you literally were convicted. He wrote a letter to him in a rebuke, and it was a powerful letter, and literally was so strong that he felt bad writing it. But he says, the work of God, that it changed your heart. You began to feel sorry for your sin. You know, it's a sobering thing. Today, people don't feel sorry for the sin anymore. I don't know if you know this, but years ago, I mentioned this to my, I mentioned this to my congregation. There used to be a thing called morning benches. Morning benches were when after you left the service, they would have benches in front of the congregation, in front of the church, and you would go there and weep over your sin. And it's interesting how the New England area, this area here, but believe it or not, can I tell you, Bridgeport used to have a wonderful revival for God. New London had great, great revival. This, this, area was, this area wasn't always as liberal as it is. Amen. We had great revival in this area. And there was a time when people used to mourn and weep. Churches were filled with people weeping over their sin. The very thought of what the modern-day church world seeks to avoid. Sometimes, beloved, please take this with grace. Some people go to church and they just feel like, wow, pastor, just hit me up. Make me feel good in my sin. Don't preach about my, my sin. Don't preach about the things I'm doing wrong. Don't preach about, I just want to go to church and basically give me another hit. I just want to feel good. I've often said in my church that people are addicted in America. This narcotic of choice is religion. People love to hear, oh, I just love church. But what about changing, beloved man? How about allowing God to change us? In the book of Psalms, Chapter 119, verse 50. I love this scripture. I, this is one of my, literally my favorite scriptures. Notice what it says. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. Then we skip down to verse 65. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment 
and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Verse 67, for before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. And verse 71, it is good for me that I had been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. Think about that. He is saying, it's good, God, that you paid me. It is good that you disciplined me, God. One of my, my kids, when they were very young, my wife and I, we just, we, we just kind of just thought to ourselves, wow, this is incredible. I had to discipline my child, you know. And I'm not talking about abuse, but how many realize that today a lot of parents don't know how to discipline their kids? Come on, church. It's quiet in here. Today, people don't, uh, uh, you know, can I tell you, my, my mom didn't count. You know, one, two, three. My mom never counted. My mom had a time played that with GPS. <laughs> That thing will knock you, and, and, and oh my gosh, don't, don't, don't oh, what well, security can see on the camera. Let me tell you, if I was in a shop right, act up, I'm like A&P and act up, my mom would hit the security guard, you know, she, after she hits me. What, are you looking at something? You know, I, mean, she, I mean, my mom was short, man. My mom would knock me out, boy. She just did a pow, you know. Get the sign on, you know. That's old school, old school mothers, you know. Knock you out, man. Tell you, try to interrupt. I'm the store, I'm the store manager. You see, you see, you see backhand you with a bad time. You see that dollar store, dollar sign right there. My mom did not play. And he says, it is good for me. Good for me that I've been afflicted. One of my young kids, once again, I had to discipline my child. So it's off to the bathroom, discipline child. Child walks up. Says to my wife, thank you, mom. I needed that. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I know you did. That's why you got it. And we don't see it that way. You hear a sermon that deals with sin. Man, I'm stupid, Pastor. Why would he do preach on that? Someone tries to help you and warn you. God deals with us. But see, he's saying a joyful thing. See, as you get older in the Lord, you should appreciate when God deals with your heart over sin. Because what he's trying to do, he's trying to stop you from destroying yourself. Because never forget this, beloved. The great thing that God saves you from is yourself. Do you realize you're your worst enemy? The very things you crave and lust for are what destroys us. The devil doesn't have to go, wow, how am I going to destroy them today? He goes, I know, I just find out what's in their heart and use it against them. That's how the enemy gets us. The very things, David, he, devil understood, this man's got a problem with women. So just one more woman can get him. One more woman. And he understands the very things that we do, anger, pride, jealousy, sometimes our prejudices. Sometimes their thoughts, you know, oh, who is he to tell me? I don't want to hear this. And who is, I, don't, I don't believe in that. And the devil just magnifies it and intensifies it. And now, David, at the last house, he's realizing, God, I should have listened. But there's a great joy this morning, beloved. A promise from God. The Bible says, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What you're seeing here is a miracle. 
That means a person has repented. And when the devil tries to lie to you about what you once were, can I say this to you, child of God? Know this, when God set you free, you are free indeed. You're no longer the same person. That's why a drug addict can come to our churches and they get delivered and get saved. And people say, well, you got to be careful because you, you can always fall back. Can I tell you, I believe that when God sets you free, you don't want to go back to that lifestyle. Well, I was a drunkard. Yes, you were a drunkard, but you're no longer a drunkard. Stop believing that. Well, I, I, you know, I'm a recovering addict. No, no, no. You are a set free person. That's what you are. I don't believe in that. That verbiage is wrong. Oh, well, I committed a lot of sins and moral sins. Okay, that's what your past, but that's not your future. You can be set free. You can be an honorable person because I believe God instills dignity. And child of God, this is something so incredible. David had to understand that. But how did he understand it? When God allowed pain to touch his life. So I ask you this with sincerity. Do you fight when God tries to pain you? Let me give you a very real scenario. It's not pretty, but it's very real. It's when as a husband you look at your wife's face and your wife doesn't have to say anything, but her face tells you everything. You know what her face tells you? I'm glad you asked. Her face tells you, you don't spend time with me. You don't talk to me as much as you used to. Everything else is more important than me. It's as if you only just want a few things from me. It's as if you don't cherish me the way you used to. It's when you look at her and you see neglect. It's when you look at your kids and you realize they're angry at you. You talk to them. They don't want to listen to you. And sadly, you look at them and they don't want to spend time with you. It's when you look in the mirror and you don't like the person in the mirror. It's when the person in the mirror is someone you wish you weren't. I don't know if you've ever been there. I have. But you know why it's good to feel that? Because that's the only way you want to stop being like that. When you can look at somebody and say, dear God, what have I done? David had to stop at that last house. In that last house, I tell you what, it's like God transformed his heart. Because at that last house, he saw everything he was losing. Now, we know the story. David gets everything back. But if he didn't get there, I wonder how much more he would have lost. So could it be that God takes you to the last house so you don't lose everything? Because I tell you what, when you really go through it with your family, with friends, with God, and sometimes even reconciling with yourself, that's when God can rescue you. I've seen people who cut themselves because they hate themselves. And I've had to literally speak and say a few things and say, you know what? You're more than your past. So child of God, please understand this. And when the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are Christ, God is talking about a miracle. Can I tell you something? We serve a miracle working God who forgives. 
Do you realize you can be forgiven this morning and be set free and all the things that, that you thought, wow, I, I can't connect with my kids, I can't connect with my spouse, I can't connect even just knowing and, and, and taking care of myself. And, 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 and child of God, please, I, I know this is not pretty, but can I just say a few words, please, if you give me? You know that you can begin again with your marriage. Can I say that? I've got almost 33 years in coming up June. And I've had to have times where I've said, God, if this is all that I have, I am going to make my marriage work. Because I don't want where we're at. I, don't, I know others, maybe, you know, but I'm, I, me, I need help. When I've looked at my kids and I said to them, I'm sorry. I told my daughter through tears, I'm sorry. Dad didn't know how to love you when you were younger, and I'm sorry. And today I've got... I mean, she FaceTimes me like, like 12 times a day. My goodness. I'm driving. Are you driving, Alex? Shut it off. And she calls me, Dad, you're driving. And I, okay, you know, and I, and I, I mean, it's incredible. Sometimes I have to look at myself and say, I don't like myself. But I have to forgive and say, God, you can help me be a different man. Can I, can I just be honest tonight, this, this morning? Because that's the miracle of God. And then you can go and have something different. Your marriage, your family can flourish. You can have ties with your children. You can have just say, yes, God. Because you know the dangerous thing is when you're alone and you don't like yourself. Now, I know no one, no one here is like that. Maybe no one in the live stream is like that. But dare I say, is there such a thing as really being alone if you've got God? Because if you've got God, you're never alone, beloved. He loves you too much to leave you alone. And that's the God we serve, beloved. A God of promise. That's why he says, There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. God is a healer, and he is gracious to his kind. Let's take a moment, bow our hearts before God.